Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we share a devotional inspired by the title of one of the cross images as we ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is the dream. The dream is a vertical image of the cross with the cross covered at the base by a large mound of several feet of dirt, possibly five feet high. It is very early in the morning, and there is a glow that you see on foggy mornings as the water droplets begin to evaporate. The mound around the cross is there because it had just been moved to that new location, meaning the cross had just been moved. It was moved from where I shot it for years to this temporary location before its final home at the north end of the football field. You see, the cross I had found there was put there by a school organization that wanted to build a new campus, and the land around that ridge was sold to the school in a sweetheart deal. This really angered many land developers who had eyes on this 100-acre location. Plans that involved a lot of potential tax revenues for the city versus for a nonprofit, Not to mention some backroom graft. And since the school needed the city's approval for most all stages of the school build-out, many impasses cropped up. Especially the first step to break ground and the city seemed intent on derailing the entire project, or stalling it as much as possible. So, many involved in the school project began to pray, and they wanted to do more. So, one gentleman cut, created, and painted the cross you see in my images. Then, they dug a hole, placed the Bible in it, and erected the cross atop the Bible, and dedicated the site for God and God's plan for that school on that hill. I had stumbled across the cross a few months after this event. This explains why, when I had shot from that ridge previously, I had not seen the cross. It also explains the diversity of the cross collection. Yes, some of it has to do with time of day, time of year, lens choices, angles, etc., but... A year into shooting the cross, the school officials finally did break ground. And why do I call this image the dream? Well, the first verse that rose inside of my spirit was Genesis 28.12 that says, And he dreamed, 
And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The angle of this image, the dream, is wide angle, and it makes the cross look a lot taller than it really is. And I think this is why this scripture means something to me, at least my interpretation of it. But the one that really got me was from Joel 2.28 that states, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. As you learn in this devotional, I received many visions that grew out of my meditative prayer methods at the foot of that white wooden cross on that isolated hill. Now, as you view the images in my book and across the cross collection, it would be easy to assume I spent a lot of time on that ridge. A valid conclusion, to be sure. But my visits were not just about shooting the cross or skyscapes, or both. I found this cross about a year after Verna, my wife, my, for lack of a better phrase, high school sweetheart. We were married very young. And it was about a year after she had passed away. And my time up there at the ridge with that cross was during my second and third year of my widowhood. And this was my hiding place away from the white noise of my everyday. It was a secret place, a sacred place to contemplate and have conversations with God. And it was during this time that I found out my ability to and the benefit of dreaming. By this, I mean the power of my imagination during meditation on Christ and the cross. Now, part of this had started a year earlier, during the time I began chasing sunsets on random hillsides, and especially on the eastern mountain range that faced west across the valley floor. In hindsight, I was chasing the vision that I had received when Verna flatlined, and I felt God take her hand from mine. So traveling the eastern mountain range for new locations to shoot sunsets from was a subconscious cover to soak in the sunset as a meditative technique to dream of the place I envisioned Verna to be at. But soon after I found the cross, I felt my sunset focus was a bit off course, or at least that's what I felt God was imparting to me. God enlightened me to instead focus on the cross and to allow Christ to focus on me. Now, tapping into eternity while dreaming or meditating of being with Christ in heaven. I did this by imagining myself at Calvary on that fateful afternoon at Golgotha. One tool that helped was to make time to read gospel accounts of the crucifixion and related verses at the cross while waiting for the colors of the sunset to change. Now you can try this too by reading biblical references about the crucifixion and meditating on them. You could read any of the hundreds of books written about the crucifixion or the life and ministry of Jesus or books about enhancing your spiritual journey. And, or, you can view sacred art in various forms to inspire you in new ways. And not just formal sacred art, but to me, nature and nature imagery points to its creator. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then artful images of nature can be a sermon. There are many movies about the Bible or biblical subplots that are not only historical, 
but contain lessons, allegories, or prophecies which can enhance your meditative ability and your spiritual journey in general. And yes, there are sermons you can listen to on local radio stations or podcasts that could be easily downloaded. And of course, there's the power of worship, contemplative and contemporary work, Christian music, during your church services, but also through your day. I find, I find it helps to live out 1 Thessalonians five, sixteen to 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And while you may be actually praying while driving or gardening and singing to God, to me is the next best thing. You can have Christian music playing during most of your time, of your day-to-day. This helps keep your mind on Christ ahead of your daily prayer session or right after, where you can dream of yourself dwelling with Christ in heaven. I was a young adult through the 1990s, and my faith was bolstered by what was called contemporary Christian music. During my mom's generation, they would call it the Jesus music, part of the Jesus movement. And yes, while my mom typically at home would lean on worship music all the time in our house, she would play songs that you would play at church, songs that you play at the church service, songs you sing to God. She even played a lot of Jewish-sounding Christian worship music, and she did so through lots and lots and lots of cassette tapes from labels like Maranatha and Sparrow. But for me, I was drawn to soft rock and gospel, groups like the Imperials, Petra, and Newsboys, singers like Kim Hill, Keith Green, Michael Card, John Michael Talbot, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Our church was a beautiful melting pot of races and cultures, meaning I learned about and enjoyed lots of gospel music like Commissioned, The Winans, Take Six, Andre Crouch, which is actually from my mom's generation. Then there was a number of crossover artists that I liked, Amy Grant, Carrie Livgren, a keyboardist, Phil Kagey, a guitarist, Phil Driscoll, a trumpeter, Philip Bailey, an amazing soprano, and... I really like the deep lyrics and the rock style of bands like The Call. I don't recall getting sucked into the current events or news of talk radio at the time because I simply immersed myself in Christian music during the week between church services. And moreover, as a young photographer, I actually shot a number of Christian artists. Some of the singers and group that I shot their concerts of is Russ Taff, Amy Grant, the Winans, B.B. and C.C. Winans, Phil Driscoll, Benji Cortez, Gladys Knight, Carmen, Donnie McClure, Patti LaBelle, and Keith Franklin, and more. And in hindsight, while listening to the lyrics, it affected me by creating and solidifying new synapses and dendrite connections of faith in my brain, or at least how I process my beliefs in my face. And it undoubtedly strengthened my soul as I went through the cares of my everyday. By the time I lost my wife when I was 30, I had had more than a decade of immersion of not just lyrics, but Christian constructs and spiritual truths that I obtained or absorbed that I could lean onto. My pastor used to say there is a God-shaped place in the heart of every man that only God can fill. And for me, listening to godly music helps enable that process. This year I've been in a returning to a John Michael Talbot phase. His body of work is huge, and it goes way back to the 1970s. Over this last year, I've listened to him pretty much every day. 
and I have almost every one of his songs on a playlist on my phone. Now, in addition to reading the biblical references and meditating, you can read any of the hundreds of books written about the crucifixion or one of the thousands of books written about the life and ministry of Jesus. There's also Versepirations, which you can look at at robholt.inspires on Instagram. They are images of the cross or nature. In that, I meditate on them to select what I get inspired to select is an appropriate verse that matches that particular composition. And I take time to pick a font and a placement of the verse onto the image. It is something I truly find evangelistic joy in creating and sharing. The iconography of the early church and even icons created in these modern times is something I also view to inspire me and recharge my inspirational intentions. Sometimes I really get sucked into one. While at the same time, learning something new about the story of the scene and the artist and what the artist is trying to retell. You may not know this, but iconographers spend years learning the unique and specific rules to this type of sacred art. Rules that are not taught in traditional drawing or painting. These trained sacred artists fast. I mean, they really, really fast and pray as they embark on the long journey of the next scene that they will retell. I'm not 100% sure of this, but I've heard that before an iconographer will start a new icon, they'll fast for either five days or a full week before they start their next painting. I have a book that is just icons and poems for the birth of Christ through the backstory of the light of the world. It was impactful enough to view each image, but each scene means more when I view it through the poetry accompanied for and about each image. Then in the back, to read the glossary of artist notes about each scene. Wow, I began to notice things in the scenes that I had overlooked, but that now feel like revealed truth, jumping from the page into my psyche. I have a video, one, on YouTube, that's linked up through my website also. It is a slideshow of crosses with a Barbara Streisand rendition of I Wonder as I Wander, which... If you know the words, it's about wondering about God as you wander under the sky, which always takes me back to my time shooting that cross. Um, to this day, I have a hard time not tearing up when I watch that video. Getting back to sacred art, and art in general, and regarding music, there are songs that unite us as a society and as a faith, seasonally, which is the broad spectrum of Christmas music, Songs that move my heart, like Silent Night, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Come, All You Faithful, and even the song Linus, highlighted in the Peanuts Christmas special movie, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. For me, I, I love the little drummer boy that refers to a boy that utilized the only talent that he had to give to make the night of Jesus' birth a little more remarkable. I relate to this story of this song. I, I realize that I am nobody special. I'm just a guy with a camera who has nothing more than imagery to help make the gospel story a little more compelling. And then there are songs like Oh Holy Night that still give me goosebumps to this day. I first heard it performed by the brother of my late wife when he was only 16. He was performing for a church and I was in the audience 
And it hit me so hard, I began to cry when he hit a certain crescendo towards the end of the song. And I looked around, and I could not see anyone else that was not wiping away tears. And to this day, during Christmas season, when I hear a rendition of that song, and when it gets to the point about fall on your knees, and as it leads to the night divine crescendo, I'm overwhelmed at the sacredness of that night when the incarnation happened, when God chose to take human form to initiate the plan of salvation for you and for me. And as I mentioned, there are movies, movies about the Bible, movies about the life of Christ, about his birth, his ministry, and yes, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. These two help me meditate on and be inspired or re-inspired by them. Now, you know that feeling when you stumble upon those old photo albums or a box of family photos in the in a closet or, or garage, and how you'll find yourself sucked in and distracted from whatever your original task was as you dwell on the images for a great deal of time. What happens at moments like that? We all of a sudden remember what we had forgot. The people in the photo and the memory of certain events that were still in our brain, yet we let them fade into a hard-to-access part of our memory banks. And the photos help us reach into those long-lost part of the mental filing cabinet and pull them out. And for us to re-feel those memories with special people, some who may have passed away. To me, that is kind of like what biblical-based movies are. They remind us of what is important. It reminds us of what we forgot. It reminds us of what was covered over by layers of dust, defined as cares, as the cares and the stress and the pain of everyday living. And not just fictional accounts of biblical events, but I enjoy non-fictional ways to share the gospel. Like the allegories you'll see from the Narnia series to the Left Behind series of Jerry Jenkins. And then there are biographies of extraordinary or ordinary Christians. Movies about Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. There are fictional biographies, some that are fictional, some that are true, like the black and white version of St. Marcelino Panivino, about a boy raised by monks. Even though I heard that it was a fictional story, I could not help but cry at the ending. Then there are the true autobiographies. I was watching one movie. It was a little difficult because it was an Italian-made movie, so I had to read the English subtitles. But it was about a medical doctor who was not only beautified, but officially named by the Catholic Church as an official saint. A doctor saint. Not a theologian. Just a doctor. And not from the early church, but from only about a hundred years ago. I'm referring to St. Dr. Muscati of Italy whose lifelong sacrificial dedication to treating the poor and his unwavering dedication to the unconditional forgiveness that shook me to my core. The ending has a double whamming that you will not see coming. I was dealing with or processing the first mind-blowing principle, the spiritual truth about his life, when the second spiritual truth, a spiritual result of the consequences of the doctor's right choices, hit me so hard in the gut. I, I couldn't sit anymore. As the credits started, I clipped the leash on my dog and began walking around the block around my home. I must have cried for about an additional 10 minutes on that walkabout. 
I can sense myself tearing up right now just recalling the ending of that movie. My point is that movies have the ability to recalibrate, realign, and refocus our perception of our right relationship with God, which I reiterate during every episode of this devotional and in the book, in my essays and blogs, in that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was the bridge allowing us to reconnect the relationship with God. Or the bigger picture of the good news of the gospel, the bridge allowing God to reconnect the right relationship with us. I remember reading an excerpt from Bruce Marciano's diary. So we're not talking fiction or nonfiction, it's just reading somebody's diary. Now, Bruce Marciano's diary was, in this section, was talking about his role of playing Jesus in the movie Matthew and reenacting the crucifixion events, how it impacted him and the crew on the set. But what were they really doing? They are not participating or witnessing a real crucifixion. Just like a Civil War reenactment, they made and are wearing a costume, using certain period pieces and playing a part. For it to be effective, the characters have to imagine themselves as that person to really get into character. I participated in one such reenactment once. Our church had a passion play just ahead of the Easter weekend. I had the role of the good thief. And to start off, I had to disrobe and wear what looked like a diaper. Um, But then I was brought in and I had to resist the other actors that were playing the Roman soldiers. I did the best I could to really resist them. And they had to really force me under the cross, past all the strength that I could muster. I had a lot of bruises. And it was so surreal to be hoisted 16 feet up into the air. The thing that impacted me as I was pretending to be a crucified thief hanging on the cross was to stop and watch that crowd starting in the front row and going back into where the crowd slipped into darkness. And then my mind imagined, restitched them continuing much further until it seemed the crowd continued on forever. The impact in my mind was the overwhelming sea of humanity that Jesus was dying for. Billions and billions of people across all the history of humankind, more souls than I could ever imagine. And each one, each single solitary one, Jesus would have died for. He would have done it just for you, even if it was only just for you. So I resonate with the title of Bruce's diary and was never the same after being hung on a cross. And it all started with imagining myself as actually being the thief, asking for forgiveness, asking to be with him and to to be forgiven and actually being there with God incarnate, allowing himself to be sacrificed for me. Just like Bruce Marciano imagined himself as Jesus, and as the Jesus on the cross, I I mentioned on the last few episodes the violent, gruesome, and shameful death of Jesus that he allowed himself to be subjected to. And then Bruce suggested in his diary that every believer should have a crown of thorns and to have to hang on the cross, even if for 10 seconds, what impact it would make in their life. I would go one step further and suggest that 
Each of us feel the weight of the vile sin and the hurt that Jesus felt on him and in him. The problem is most of us all could not make it past one second. I don't think I could. That said, I have often encouraged folks to use their imagination, to dream as a tool, to place themselves at Calvary, to learn from the people and events that happened that afternoon, and to take it a step further, to take Bruce's advice and imagine yourself as Jesus, to die to yourself, and to view the events and feel what he subjected to himself to that day. What did it feel like to be slapped, stripped naked, spit on, struck in the head with a rod, have portions of your beard pulled out, whipped repeatedly with metal-tipped whips, having stakes driven through your wrist and feet, and finally left for dead, nailed to a cross. Some denominations try as a part of their religious tradition. They do things like retake the Via de la Rosa on their knees, or like in the Philippines, carry a cross long distances, and some actually allow themselves to be hung on a cross for a time as a penance-type endeavor. But no matter how creative or detailed of an imagination someone may have, no one will ever come close to what Jesus willingly, selflessly, sacrificially, and actually subjected himself to. Bruce Marciano came close, playing Jesus being crucified for a major motion picture, I find one entry to be quite interesting. It was a two-word sentence Bruce wrote when he said, I wept, which mirrors the shortest sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. I wonder if the pun was intended. In his journal entry, Bruce described a sequence of events in that day, each one causing him to weep. Now that is true empathy. And while 99.99999% of us won't be able to relate, we can use art as a way of staying aware of the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus and the overall story of the gospel plan through sacred art. It keeps our sympathetic sensitivities active, and in some cases, when something artistic truly hits us, it can even trigger our empathetic sensitivities. The theme of this week's dream devotional is to immerse yourself as best you can in sacred art. But even then, in a roundabout way, it is a pleasant way to celebrate God's creation by just observing nature. Why? Because no matter where you're driving or walking, nature is all around you, if you are aware. Colossians 3.2 encourages us to keep your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And Philippians 2.2 says, be united in spirit keeping on purpose in mind, one in spirit and one in mind, which to me leads to Philippians 4, 7, guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So earlier I referenced 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 to pray without ceasing. So it helps to stay heavenly minded from a song that I may have just listened to. And it keeps me humble, singing songs about mercy or variations of the Jesus prayer song. It goes like this, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinful one. My point is that it is hard to fall into pride, dwell on sinful thoughts, or get angry about current events or political developments when your heart and mind is stayed on Christ. And I find it appropriate that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our lives, in society and in human history, or the retelling of it, 
The story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. Meaning, while everything around the cross in our life is in flux, constantly changing, the cross never moves. And it will not be moved even while the tectonic plates of our life keep shifting. The bedrock of Calvary is sure, steadfast, and sanctified. Even when your life begins, even when the events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, then return to the cross. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program, heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, The Dream, along with other verspirations, then check out robholt.inspires on Instagram. And if you would like to learn about the cross products or listen to other cross podcasts, then log on to robbieholt.com. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com.